Broadcasting from Ohio. This is the Campus Church Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Darrell. This is episode 47. Rush Limbaugh and Franklin Graham gets canceled. Welcome, everybody, to the Campus Church Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage and equip you into the work of evangelism on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, FLFnetwork.com where you can go and learn a little bit more about what we have going on here. And one of the key things that we do have going on, I guess we have two key things. Uh, One, we now have our own app. So if you go into uh, your favorite app store and uh, I think you can punch in flfnetwork.com and uh, Fight, Laugh, Feast and something should pop up. And also in October, the 1st through the 3rd, I believe, we are having our first Fight, Laugh, Feast conference in Nashville, Tennessee. So if you... Uh, don't have plans at that time and you are making plans at that time, uh, consider coming out to the Fight, Laugh, Feast, the first annual Fight, Laugh, Feast uh, conference uh, where you can learn a little more what we have going on. And um, yeah, I don't know if there's a theme yet or a uh, name for the conference, but it's going to be taking place in October, uh, the first through the third in Nashville, Tennessee. And so uh, this is, uh, I want to apologize. I've been uh, out for the last two weeks. Um, two weeks ago, I was in, we went to the G3 conference, which was quite good. Uh, I didn't really sit in on any of the talks. Um, 90% of what I was doing was uh, manning the booth and interacting with people. And it was actually pretty humbling to have some people come up and say, hey, I listen to your podcast. And uh, yeah, you do this thing, you hope and pray that people listen to it. But then when you put some faces to it, it's actually pretty humbling. And it makes me want to get better at what I'm doing. So when you do give me maybe 15, 20 minutes uh, once a week of your life, that it is uh, definitely worthwhile. Uh, but coming out of the fight or coming out of the uh, G3 conference, I fell really sick in a weird way where I just couldn't stay up. I basically slept for about four or five days straight, like 20 hours a day. I'd wake up just uh, and go back to bed and I didn't eat or anything like that. Lost like 10 pounds and all that sort of jazz. So I don't know what the issue was because I didn't have any other real symptoms other than just an inability to stay awake. And after about three or four days of that, it gets a little bit scary. You're like, man, I hope something more serious isn't wrong with me. It's like if you're coughing and all that sort of stuff, you're like, okay, I just got the flu. Um, But when uh, nothing else is really happening. Uh, you're like, man, I hope it's not a deeper issue. But fortunately, it doesn't appear to be a deeper issue as I've uh, been pretty, uh, I've been in good shape since. And then this past weekend, I uh, was able, I was in Columbia, South Carolina, and I was able to go to the Truth Exchange, uh, I guess you want to call it a conference. That's um, a guy named Dr. Peter Jones, and their stuff is worth checking out because I think it's very helpful in orienting us in the current age where we're at. He spends a lot of time discussing uh, what he calls oneism, uh, which I believe I've talked about that on the show before, which is monism, basically the underlying view of reality that all is one and that much of what's driving most public discourse today is um, either what he calls oneism or twoism. And I think it was very helpful. And the main reason I went there, though, was to um, hear Rosario Butterfield uh, speak. So she spoke on Friday night, then also again on Saturday. Friday night, she largely gave um, a talk about inviting people into your home. So the gospel comes with a house key. And the the basic idea there is that I believe it's her house, and she was trying to encourage churches to find somebody uh, or a couple, maybe a couple families in their house that can do this, who basically always have an open table 
for their neighbors and everybody else to come in. I don't know exactly how she goes about inviting everybody. It sounds like she has some sort of app called like Good Neighbor or The Neighbor or The Neighborhood or something like that um, that might be unique to everybody's neighborhood or maybe it's a web page. And uh, somehow through that, she begins to communicate and maybe through some other means. But basically, it sounds like her house is open every night of the week so people can come and eat. And at the end of the meal, her husband, uh, who is a pastor, will read... Um, some scripture, and they'll get into a conversation. And I, I, I think for a lot of people, that is kind of a way to do evangelism. And I think it's going to be a normal way for a lot of people in our church. And this is going to tie in a little bit with what I'm going to brush on later with Franklin Graham, that uh, for most of us in our churches, the way we're going to end up doing evangelism, I do open-air preaching. Not everyone's going to be called to do that. And the social costs are becoming greater and greater and greater to um, public preaching, to doing evangelism. And uh, so, so I do think f- certain strands of public aspect are going to have to be maybe, maybe to an extent, uh, at least for a season, perhaps people like me who that's what we do. And so I can be a lightning rod and take the heat and the brunt of everybody's dislike while other Christians are about doing other things and, and inviting people in and sharing the gospel in that context. So when people are asking me how they go about doing evangelism at work and stuff like that, uh, the best way is to get to know people and invite them over for meals and let them begin to see your life. And, uh, you know, obviously the gospel is the message of the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus and share that message with them. Um, but it's not always going to be able to be done in the work context. So that was a, a pretty good conference uh, or decent couple of presentations. Her, her second presentation was a little more academic. Um, and discussing more the ontology of the image of God and a little bit the side B slash gay Christian identity thing. She did a really good job discussing that. And so I don't know if those talks will be online or anything like that. Then there's also a gentleman there. I I never got his name, but he actually filled in for Peter Jones because Peter Jones fell sick. uh, And he he did a really good job reading Dr. Jones's paper. And then he would kind of jump off and share a little bit. And he was in Australia, and I think he had a pretty good grasp of the culture and the things that are going on. And one of the things that he mentioned is that Christians are going to be prepared not so much to do apologetics towards uh, straight-up unbelief, but apologetics in the context that Christianity uh, is harmful to society and harmful to people's psychology and well-being. And you even saw that a little bit kind of tied in my last two podcasts with Greg Johnson and the whole revoice thing. If you listen to Greg Johnson's presentation on the floor at the General Assembly, it's very much rooted in how his own temperament and being hurt and pained and all that sort of stuff and that the damage that you guys are doing. And so much of what we're doing, uh, publicly preaching, in my context, publicly preaching, or even evangelizing people and calling people to repentance and faith, um, it's all going to be about how much damage you're doing. So any discussion of male headship, the damage you're doing to uh, women, the idea of evangelism to people outside of you, the damage you're doing to the Muslims and the damage you're doing to the Mormons. I, I don't think people care about the Mormons, so they don't care if you're damaging them, but the damage you're doing to you know A, B, C, D, F, G group. And so it's always going to be about the damage that Christianity is now doing. And so the idea that you create a binary, and this kind of ties into Dr. Jones's oneism, the minute you create a binary between A and non-A, uh, the, the idea is that A is now the oppressor and the non-A is being harmed in some regard. So as long as we are preaching the gospel, we're setting forth Christianity, we are going to be those who are harming people. And so I wanted to get into today's uh, uh, podcast. And ba- basically, I wanted to basically hit at two things. One, I learned today that Rush Limbaugh uh, has advanced 
lung cancer, which is not a good sign. I, I ended up reading that uh, for less than 5% of people make it uh, five years. So rush all things considered, probably doesn't have much time, although there was a qualifier there that some of the more recent treatments aren't considered in that stat. And I haven't listened to Rush Limbaugh really outside of maybe five or six minutes, uh, maybe once every three or four years um, since probably 1994. My freshman year of college, I'd often come home from a class and I'd try to listen to him in the afternoon. And then maybe here and there during the Clinton era. But once the Clinton era was over, I haven't really listened to him at all, except for when I found out that he was going deaf. And I've always had an appreciation for Rush Limbaugh. And part of the main reasons for that, I read his The Way Things Ought to Be in between my junior and senior year of high school. And depending on the context, I often give Rush Limbaugh credit for uh, or yeah, part of partly credit of what the Lord used to bring me to Himself, uh, because I was I would consider myself a left winger, and I had some friends of mine whose parents were hippies, and I realized their their parents and their family and stuff like that. So I was kind of a uh, kind of just adopted their philosophy and their worldview. So I was by and large on the left, and I remember feeling like I lost a debate on uh, whether or not uh, welfare was harmful for the poor, and that began to change my view and. Uh, I was given Rush Limbaugh's book, The Way Things Ought to Be, and I cranked this thing out over a weekend because every chapter really was dealing with issues at the time that were like right down the alley of almost everything we were doing in school. So whether it was Anita Hill, whether it was multiculturalism, whatever it may be, I felt like Rush Limbaugh was uh, discussing those issues. And one of the things that, uh, and as I was reading that book and going through the chapters there, he had a chapter on uh, religion in America. And I, and I remember reading at the time, and yeah, I was a liberal Episcopalian. I would have identified as a Christian, and uh, I was white. I was American, and I was going to church. And I, and you know, in hindsight, maybe the Lord had saved me. But as I was reading uh, this book, uh, there was, and it's funny to go back. I'm revisiting the book, and, and to go back and look at it, and it's not exactly how I remember it being written, but because in my head, how I remember it being written was Rush basically said something about, uh, you know, does. Uh, uh, Religion in America, do they uh, they do go together? Is what the chapter twenty five is entitled. And I thought I remember a comment to the effect of, "Without God, there is no morality." And that just kind of like at the time hit me as a ton of bricks. And it seemed to tie in some of the issues that I was uh, wrestling with at the time. And so, what I want to do is read a couple brief excerpts from L. Rushbow's uh, work here because it was this was uh, summer of nineteen ninety three and. It was very helpful for me to read at the time and to uh, come across something along these lines uh, for the first time. So he says this, You know, this whole notion that morality is not something which can be imposed on people is simply ridiculous. Morality certainly descends from religion and is one of the main sources of our law, although some legal scholars, humanists, and atheists do their best to scramble this premise with such doublespeak that before long those who cherish morality and its roots are defending their very right to breathe. So heinous are they accused of being. The simple fact is that morality cannot be defined by individual choice. By allowing everyone to simply do as they please, 
as though there is no consequence to their behavior and actions. That is anarchy, and we are living it, experiencing it. In certain segments of our society today, morality is a system of virtuous conduct based on the principles of right and wrong. If we can't teach the difference between right and wrong because some paranoid civil libertarian determine that it is an imposition of religious views, then we are adrift in a dangerous sea. There may be legitimate philosophical arguments over what is right and wrong, but they would have to be so esoteric in nature. Fundamental right and wrong, such as defining the Ten Commandments, is not arguable, uh, nor should it be. And then he goes on uh, later in that chapter to say... Um, Uh, the debate over whether or not America was founded as a religious nation is not an academic one. To destroy a people, you must first sever their roots, the great Russian writer Alexander Solzhenitsyn once wrote. Those who would undermine America and turn it into an egalitarian utopia know they have to first chip away at the faith of the Americans, at their very spiritual foundations. They will try to convince people to replace their faith in God with a belief in alphabet soup of uh, agencies, faceless bureaucrats, and government giveaways. But man is a spiritual being. If his faith in God is destroyed, the void will be filled with something else. Throughout history, the substitute for faith has not been has uh, has been belief in a man-made God called the state. Untold crimes have been committed in its name, Hitler and Stalin being the most bloody recent examples. The separation of church and state in our Constitution is not there to protect Americans from religion. It is there to protect Americans from the government. And so when I read that in 1993, uh, not necessarily serving Jesus at that point, it started to be on a trajectory of, yeah, we need religion for morality. And over the next uh, year, basically one year, I realized that I was a sinner. And so I credit Rush Limbaugh, depending on my context, in helping in my conversion and, and reading those sorts of things, e even the reality that you know, when you reject faith in God, you turn to the state. I mean, if you've ever read Rush Dooney and Bonson and the Reconstructionists, that's been pretty standard fare material from them. And so if you think of praying for uh, Rush, please do. His brother, David Limbaugh, is a solid believer. And so I know he has people in his life. We'll be speaking the gospel to him. And you know, Rush is a great sinner. If you followed his career, he's had a myriad of problems over the years between a uh, myriad of divorces, um, opioids. Um, and he's even admit, kind of admitted that uh, part of his work is just entertainment. So who knows what he actually believes and everything else. Um, but one of the things that he says there, basically, when he hints at the idea that those who are religious are seen as hurting others. I think that's kind of where we're at in our culture with regards to, if you've read the story about Franklin Graham, he has been canceled in the UK. And so he basically had a stadium tour, kind of like his father uh, throughout the UK. And it would have been interesting. Uh, I kind of wish I would have been able to pull off just because in, in my head, I, I've been telling people for the last few years that the days of... Um, Billy Graham are over, that the days of a major stadium tour and people getting saved is over just because culturally um, there's just been so many shifts that I just, not that the Lord couldn't use that. Uh, I'm a street preacher, so so I'm not going to say what the Lord can and cannot do. Um, but but I just kind of see some of the, the shifts culturally, even getting people to come to it and even the response to it is just just seems a very particular culture um, coming out of the Second Great Awakening, if anything, as, as a response to uh, uh, that that kind of favors that sort of evangelistic work. And since we're no longer in that context, I, I have a little bit of a difficulty seeing it work, but that's a little bit of an in-house uh, debate and discussion. The reality of it is that the apostle or the apostles that uh, Franklin Graham has been 
more or less canceled. They started canceling the venues as the LGBT community and all those people over in the UK begin to come out against Graham. And it's not just them, but it's also the clergy as well. There's a uh, Anglican um, bishop uh, of Sheffield, um, Reverend Dr. Peter Wilcox. Uh, he says this, I'm afraid I cannot support the Franklin Graham tour mission event at the Fly DSA Arena on 6th June next year, at which Franklin Graham is due to speak, and so will not be encouraging parishes in the Diocese of Sheffield to support it either. Mr. Graham's rhetoric is repeatedly and unnecessarily inflammatory, and in my opinion, represents a risk to social coherence cohesion of our city. I gladly took part in the Billy Graham mission uh, in England in 1984 as a candidate for ordained ministry and in his live link mission in 1989 as a curate. But to my sadness, I detect a tailing off of humility and generosity in Graham organizations since those days. So who knows what the man believes today, uh, what he believed back then and everything else. But the reality of it is he, he's playing perfectly in the role that Franklin Graham's presence and his rhetoric is inflammatory, and it's going to chip away at our social cohesion. Now, to be honest with you, I know very little uh, about Franklin Graham. To, to me, he's a little bit too much uh, in Trump's corner uh, on a few things that he said, but I, I haven't paid enough attention. I don't think of him as being inflammatory, um, but who knows what people consider inflammatory nowadays. And so if he says homosexuality is a sin, that's inflammatory. If uh, homophobic... Uh, if uh, Islam's wrong, well, then he's an Islamophobe and everything else. So I don't know what his actual content is. But what that got me thinking is coming into my semester, um, needing prayer and needing boldness as, you know, just as Franklin Graham's canceled. There are many days when I'm on campus that people scream and yell and cancel me out. And on the bright side, by impromptu meetings, uh, I, I have I don't need any resources. People often ask, why don't you do something like, uh, you know, What's that guy? Where uh, prove me wrong? You know, there is no God. Prove me wrong or change my mind, whatever. And because with the open air preaching, what I'm able to do is just go and set up shop, start preaching, get my own crowd. It's a little since it's impromptu. People are coming, joining, and stuff like that. But at the same time, that people can at times kind of cancel me by screaming and yelling. But uh, it got me thinking uh, about how the apostles in the Book of Acts uh, turned the world upside down, and they were not like because in part they're stirring up the, the social order and you know the, the, their uh, idle factories are being shut down and everything else so um, it's kind of in one way exciting times that we live in um, that we are viewed as a social pariah it's also scary just because it affects real people's lives and there are a lot of people in the church who are just looking to live godly faithful lives work hard um, who are being shut down and you've seen the Chick-fil-A compromise but it got me thinking of George Whitfield's biography by Arnold Dalimore and something that he wrote in there uh, that I hope that you would consider this and that you'd pray for me, you'd pray for other young men, and you'd, uh, I don't know how young I am anymore, but yet you'd pray for the church that something like this would happen. He, uh, Arnold Dalimore writes this, Yea, this book is written in the desire, perhaps in a measure of inner certainty, that we shall see the great head of the church once more bring into being his special instrument of revival, that he will again raise up unto himself certain young men whom he may use in his glorious employ. And what manner of men will they be? Men mighty in the scriptures, their lives dominated by a sense of the greatness, the majesty and holiness of God, and their minds and hearts aglow with the great truths of the doctrine of grace. They will be men who have learned what it is to die to self, to human aims and personal ambition, men who are willing to be fools for Christ's sake, who will bear reproach and falsehood, who will labor and suffer, and whose supreme desire will be not to gain earth's accolades, but to win the master's approbation. When they appear 
before his awesome judgment seat. There will be men who will preach with broken hearts and tear-filled eyes, and upon whose ministries God will grant an extraordinary effusion of the Holy Spirit, and who will witness signs and wonders following in transformation of multitudes of human lives. And that's part of doing the open air preaching. I remember reading things like that in Dallamore and reading about the life of Whitfield and the desire was that many would be saved. And there are many days where you don't see as much fruit as you would like, but that uh, we ask as I'm going out this semester, you'd be praying for me that we would see countless lives changed, that the Lord would send a revival because if not, we're cooked. Um, and canceled and everything else that that goes along with. And so uh, I'm pretty optimistic because God is sovereign. He promises to shake the nations. He's made a promise to Abraham. Uh, But within that, there is an ebb and flow and judgments on culture and who knows exactly where we're at. But ultimately, there will be a resurrection and the whole world will know him. So uh, that's this episode of the Campus Preacher Podcast. Uh, If you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations, feel free to reach out to me, Keith, at campuspreacher.com, Campus Evangel on Twitter. Uh, You can see me on Facebook as well. So if you have any questions, comments, Bands, feel free to reach out and we'll talk to you next week. Lord bless you. Knowing that the harvest might well come before the bloom, he runs on his way. There's no time to be going slow. Hurry, take what you've got.